And you'll be able to negotiate better commission rates with the agent if you say, hey, I've got an awesome project, here's the brochures, here's the imaging, here's everything done, there's no work for you to do. Um, you just need to facilitate the process as far as putting it on the internet and dealing with the customers. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, Property Developer, and welcome to this episode of the Property Developer Podcast. It's great to be back with you. How is your latest development going? Is everything on track? Things are moving along with my townhouse development. The concreter is due on site next week to start forming up the steelwork in readiness for pouring the foundations. I must find out how much concrete will be going into the site. I was on site speaking with the drainage guys this week and there is something like a kilometre of pipes that have been installed around the property. I'm also doing some due diligence on a small project that may eventuate as a joint venture with a landowner. The benefit of dealing directly with the landowner is the reduced pressure on getting all the due diligence done in some crazy time frame. Anyway, we'll see where that leads over the next few weeks. On to today's guest, veteran selling agent Tony Smith from Max Brown Real Estate in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Tony is actually our sales agent for our current project and has more than 25 years of experience. He is the project sales director for Max Brown, solely focusing on selling projects, mainly off the plan. He also dabbles in developing himself, so he truly understands the challenges and needs of property developers. During our chat, we identify a terrific way to find the best builders, agents and designers in your area, how to build relationships with agents that will lead to you getting buying opportunities, and the one skill you need to ensure you lock in profits early. I had to start off by asking Tony what food he would eat until he was sick, and his answer surprised me. Probably chips, yeah. Chips or pizza, probably. Together? Together, no, not together. Definitely not together. Hot chips, you mean? Hot chips, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, being English, it's, yeah. I think it's built into us. With salt and vinegar? Yep. Really? Yep. Because you don't get vinegar over here with hot chips. No, not normally, and you don't get them in, you don't make sandwiches out of them either. They're a bit healthier here too, they're not as soggy and greasy as they are in the UK. No, that's true. Well, they have places called chippies, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Just solely focus on selling (laughs) chips. Yeah, there's one open here in Croydon, so yeah, which is unusual, an English fish and chip shop. So, oh, very good. I'll have to go and try it out. If you want a heart attack, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, pizza's been a very popular answer amongst <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> yes. So, Tony, you're a project sales specialist. I think it would be fair to describe you as yep. as part of the Max Ground Max Brown Group in Outer East Melbourne. So we're probably, what, about 30 kilometres east of the CBD here? Yeah, well, our office is 25 k's from the CBD um, and we sell a very big area. So we sell all sort of Yarra Ranges, Maroondah, um, Knox, and yeah, we, we handle bigger projects when they get out. So at the moment we've got projects in Keysborough, Cranbourne, Mernda, um, so yeah, we specialise in project selling. So most agents specialise in normal mum and dad homes but yeah we prefer to take on the bigger projects um yeah all over melbourne and can you explain to us how you got into project sales well i've been in real estate 25 years um my mother was an estate agent um and my stepfather did a one of the first dual locks ever in this area so being young i sort of watched him do it um it fascinated me and um yeah it, it sort of happened I didn't purposely go into push to go into project sales, but what I found was that 
um, developers more and more wanted to deal with people who knew what they were doing. I had some experience, and because people knew that um, I'd done developments myself. Once my family had done a couple of developments, I, I did a few myself. Um, they tended to levitate to someone who had a bit more experience, and they could talk to about town planning and marketing. And then, yeah, we've just sort of continue, continued to improve the way we do things for probably 25 years now. So um, just improve our marketing, um, and, and I continue to develop myself. I find that if I don't develop, I feel a bit hypocritical. I, I feel I can't have the same quality conversations with people if I wasn't doing it myself. So, uh, I mean, 90%, 95% of what I do is sell projects for other people, but I probably do one project a year just so that I can keep you know keep keep involved yeah and do you think that gives you an added advantage in terms of you actually have an understanding of what's involved well there's a period of probably three years where i didn't develop um and you're sort of not in touch with the politics of the councils and the attitudes of the councils You, you unless you're doing it you really don't understand because it does change you know in periods i've been selling in 1994, you could get a permit approved by council in 28 days, where now, you know, it's, some people can take nearly a year to get a permit. So it, it cha- everything changes all the time. So unless you're proactive and you're doing it yourself, you really don't understand and you're really not in a position to advise people, I don't, I don't believe. Yeah. And so what things have you learnt over the years from going from selling existing stock to selling project stock? And what's the... What's the big differences or what are the things that you've learnt along the way? Selling developments is a lot more exciting um, and better time management because you've got one vendor with 20 properties as opposed to 20 vendors. Um, And I just have a lot in common with developers, so a lot of the developers I sell for become friends. So um, I deal with 460 property developers, so there's a lot of them. Um, And, yeah, it's... more, mainly the, the relationship you have with them because you're dealing with some incredible people. Um, so learning from the developers, you know, we've got people that just I sell back gardens for or they buy a back garden and they build a house on it. That's all I've ever done and they might do two of those a year and they might make $35,000 out of each one and they're really happy with their lot. They make seventy grand a year and they have lots of holidays and they're pretty chilled. And then I've got people I deal with who are worth a couple of hundred million dollars that do, you know, 100 lot subdivisions and 200 lot subdivisions. Um, and there's something to learn from all of those people. So there's that. It's a lot of good personal development in dealing with these sort of people. But, yeah, a lot to be learned. In, I mean, every time we market something, we always try and make the next one better. That's, that's it. There's no... You can't make everything perfect, but after you've marketed hundreds of properties if every one the next one you do you you try and make the text better the sketches better the the way you've done you just want to improve on the previous one you've done so yeah and what have you found works over the years what are the must-haves that you always focus on it's been layer upon layer so i mean the basics are still essential that you get good artist impressions um that you have a lot of information for for the client because it's a confidence building exercise with selling off plan and nicely branded nice looking marketing material because at the end of the day they're buying the brochure really because half the times we sell off plan we don't even go to the site Um, we sold 20 units off plan in february and um, we didn't go to the to any of the sites all of it was done in all of all of selling was done in our office 
with marketing material. So obviously the quality of the marketing material is very important. There's lots of other things. Look, some clients are incredibly uh, easygoing, which I think is a bit foolish. They'll just literally can't see something on the internet, come in and see us, we'll go through the contracts, we'll go through the plans, we'll go through the working drawings, we'll show them the, the colour schemes and they'll sign up on the spot. Um, but then on the other side of it, we'll have clients that, um, you know, 10 emails backwards and forwards, they want to meet the developer, they want to meet the builder, they they want to know every single aspect of it. So, yeah, all buyers are different. But it is just a confidence-building exercise. You've got to understand that you're selling someone something that doesn't exist, that they can't see, they can't feel, they can't touch. So, Yeah, which I always find quite fascinating. I mean, as a developer, you go, yeah, we've got this great product that we're going to build and you sort of have an intrinsic belief in it. But then getting somebody else to buy into that idea, which is the yeah. critical role that uh, the agent plays, uh, that's no easy task. Yeah, you've got to spend time with them. So we'll do lots of little things. We'll show them similar developments that we've sold. A lot of the times the developers we sell for won't conveniently have another exact product available for us to show, but we might have something that's 80% similar, which we can walk them through and then discuss the differences with them. Um, we spend a lot of time in the office going over the plans. We have nice marketing books done with every bit of information we can, from rental figures to depreciation schedules to, to, to nice-looking plans. Um, so it, we'll just do whatever we can to build the client's um, confidence. And sometimes it's just meeting the developer, sometimes just has that little bit of a, an emotional contact, or meeting the builder sometimes when we set up a meeting with the, the actual person building the house for them. But um, usually we can show them something relatively similar. Yeah. And how many inquiries to people that actually come in do you sort of work on? Oh, huge volumes of inquiry, yeah. So we might have um, 100 inquiries um, probably 30% of those don't leave a phone number so we'll send them information but not expect to hear from them again um, all the ones that ring we, we ring and speak to them and we send them information packs on the project and we push for an appointment out of those say 70 people we might see 10 people in the office and then out of those 10 people that might convert into you know three sales so something along that so huge volumes of inquiries not huge volumes of meetings with people but still quite Quite a lot. Actually, I wanted to ask how many phone calls would you make in a year? Um, I make about a thousand phone calls a month. <laughs> so, yeah, outgoing phone calls. That's not from my mobile, yeah. that's from my headset in my office, about 900 to 1,000 outgoing calls a month. So. Wow. So, you've obviously polished your phone manner. <laughs> <laughs> Try and be quick. I talk a lot, but yeah. Yeah, try and be quick on the phone. But yeah, no, I'm always on the phone. I, I, I have um, I have a headset on, so normally I'm walking around drinking coffee, having lunch, still talking. Drinking champagne, aren't you? No, no champagne. Isn't that what agents do? No, there's canapes and not. champagne all day. No, no, that would be nice. Not even on a Friday. <laughs> so tell me, with all the developers that you've had experience with over the years, what are the things that the really successful ones? do or, or what is it they focus on to make sure that they're successful look they all they all have a preference they all have a, a, a niche so i've seen people successful in apartments i've seen people successful taking established houses and renovating them and then putting units on the back um, and i've seen people successful doing land subdivisions so i've been lucky to see all different types 
you know, but there's no one real category that you can sort of say that that makes them more successful. And you, and different develop, you've got to have different levels of wealth to be able to do different types of developing. When I developed and I had no money and I was doing it with credit cards, I would buy a prop, an established property because you could rent it and you could go in there and add value to it by renovating the home and then you could do a simple drill lock and you could sell the front house first and it was all cash flow um, safer and, and doable. But land subdivision takes a lot of, lot of money um, because the banks will be lucky to lend you 50% on something like that and you've got no income coming in. So a lot of the time you're dictated by your financial position and what you can do. So, um, but yeah, I, I, as I said, every area that's, there's very successful people. There's so many different diverse areas of, of developing. You know, we've got guys that just stick to dual locks and have never done any more than a house and one, but they might have 10 going at once. Um, and they don't seem to ever change from that and they do really, really well from it. Um, but I personally find the bigger you go, the more commercial it is and then the more profit there is in it. The smaller ones are too accessible often to everyone and therefore the profits are quite quite difficult. It's difficult to make a profit out of it. And so do these bigger developers or the successful ones rely heavily on you to provide the prepare the marketing materials, the sales strategy, yep. all that sort of thing? We do stuff. everything, um, with the exception of one client um, in Cambridge Road. But, yeah, we, we usually do everything. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we, we normally we do all the organiser sketches, do the brochures, do ev- everything that needs to be done. We're geared up for that, so we prefer to do it all our, ourselves. Um, but you know, it's it's when you, it's fantastic when you've got a client that's supportive with that and does it with you, as opposed to us doing everything. Unfortunately, it, it's it's fortunate and unfortunate. Most of my clients know me so well that they just say, "We just bought this ten units. I can you sell it?" And then we just sell it. And you send them the sketches, you send them the floor plans, you send them the text, you send them the brochures, and you basically get emails back saying, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, just sell it." Um, which is good, nice, and it's empowering, but um, it's nice to have that trust. But it would be nice if they actually read the text or looked at the sketches um, and picked that there was a colour wrong, because uh, that happens. So, but um, yeah, it's it, it does work better when you've got someone who's a bit more proactive, who wants to, because they send us inclusions lists and they're just generic. Where if they put a bit more thought into what's going into it, that would help as well and a bit more thought in the colour schemes and things like that Mm, okay and for developers out there that are looking to get an edge in their local area from their marketing and their sales what tips would you have for them um look most luckily most it's probably more in the fact that most agents do a bad job of marketing them um that it gives you an edge i mean most Will, in most cases, the developer themselves will organise a sketch of the property, um, supply it to the agent, and the agent will just use what they're supplied rather than the agent doing it all. So, um, you know, if it, there's two sides of it. It's quite difficult because there's not a lot of agents that do this sort of thing. Like you can't be jack-of-all-trades, so they don't really know how to market stuff. So in that case... You know, your listeners really need to learn how to do the marketing themselves because you're not always lucky. Now, I develop out of the area that I'm in, and I find it very challenging to find a suitable agent. I did a 41-lot subdivision in Rosebud West, um, 
and I went through three agents and in the end just sold it myself and I'm an hour from Rosebud and that just did my head in but they just didn't get it they, that's just not what they do um, even though I wrote the ads did the brochures they just didn't didn't get it so um so probably it is very relevant to, to learn how to do the marketing yourselves because you probably can't rely on an estate agent to do it. Yeah, and I spoke to a project marketing specialist in one of the interviews and they suggested that you could engage a small designer if you're a yep. smaller developer to yep. help you with that. So yeah, you don't I necessarily think... have to do it yourself, but you can still invest yeah. some money in a small designer to come up with the look and feel and or get a copywriter to help you with the copy. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. I, if I was developing around Australia, um, I would probably take that up myself. I do do it myself because I can't trust anyone in those areas to come up with a, the branding, the feel, the the, the, the the sketches, the text. You really need to pay someone to do that and find a company that's not too outrageously expensive to do it because the agents really, there won't be any agents capable of doing it, I don't believe. Yeah, and I find there's a real opportunity for developers out there with their, particularly with their sales copy, to make it a lot more emotive. Yeah. Because most agents just tend to focus on the functional aspects of the property or even the development. So the kitchen, open plan kitchen and two bathrooms, two bedrooms. But there's no emotional connection or hook there to get people in and start thinking about the development and they might be living there and wouldn't it be exciting that it's just missing yeah you can't you cannot rely on the agent if you if you've in one of your previous interviews had a marketing company then you need to hook up with someone who's going to do present it for them and you'll be able to negotiate better commission rates with the agent if you say hey i've got an awesome project here's the brochures here's the imaging here's everything done there's no work for you to do um, you just need to facilitate the process as far as putting it on the internet and dealing with the customers. So then all you need to do is find someone who is a good, enthusiastic salesperson, which is a lot easier to do than find someone who can do the marketing because I don't think you'll find someone who's capable of marketing and selling. You're telling me that now, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do both, but that's it's a specialist thing. We, we've chosen to go down this road, so and it's taken many years to fine-tune what we do. So, Yeah, look, I think you've done a really great job with selling Cambridge Road. Yeah, I think we've had you. a pretty good success over the last... Well, it's only just over 12 months. So. But you've also done what we're talking about. You had already done all that. So that's what you, your listeners should be doing. They should be doing exactly what you're doing and doing it themselves because then it just takes the guesswork out of it. Yeah. Um, then, you, then you just need to find a good salesperson. Yes, which is my next question to you. How do you go about finding that right sales agent to sell your property or your project off the plan? Well, the traditional thing you should be doing is, is if, you've got, if you've got someone who's actively looking for sites for you and, and talking about what to buy and what not to buy is a completely different subject. But there's a difference, you've got, there's a difference between someone um, who's proactively looking for properties for you and really working hard they might be young and inexperienced, but they find you opportunities. That is gold. That is the most important thing with property developing. And the only thing I can't have happen because no one wants to find me a development site. Um, but, yeah, so that having that relationship and giving it back to that real estate agent, if you're training yourself in marketing, then if they're not perfect, the fact that they found you opportunities is probably more important than, than anything. Um but just because you buy off a real estate agent doesn't mean you have any obligation to go back to them. 
because if you see a board or something on the internet, they've not been proactive. They've not been trying to find you something. They just happen to have had it. So the main thing is to make sure the agents realise that if they are proactive and they do help you find opportunities, that you'll always be loyal to them. But the fact that you ring... I mean, you might have a relationship with a real estate agent and you might see one of their properties that's been on the internet for a month and go and look at it and buy it. Well, then that shows to me you've got no loyalty to that agent because the, the reason you bought it has nothing to do with them. So the first thing you need to tackle is looking after people that look after you. Um, assuming you've bought it and you've got no reason to go back to the agent that you bought it from, then you, you really need to look on the internet and see who's selling projects because although the agents may not be great at it, there, there will always be someone out there that seems to have the bulk of new projects and they'll have more experience. Um, and, you know, in our suburb, if I wasn't doing this, there are probably... Well, there's one agent that does sell a lot of stuff off plan. They don't know how to market, but you, if you're looking after that itself, it doesn't matter, but they are very experienced in selling things that don't exist off plan. So, And I, th I believe there'd be someone like that in most suburbs in Australia. Yeah, because pretty much every agent will tell you that they can sell stuff off the plan, yep. but that's not actually reality. Yep. So you do need to dig a little deeper, don't you? Yeah, all you've got to do is ask them what projects they've sold and, and show and, and see the marketing material and, and ask whether that was done by the what was done by the owner and what was done by us uh, and what was done by the, the agent, and then you have a pretty good idea. But there'll be someone that's capable. You definitely find someone who's capable of selling your project. You you probably definitely won't find someone who's capable of marketing your project. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah, that's very true. And then when a developer brings you a project, what are the things that you're looking for when you're looking at the plans or looking at the renders? Um, it depends. I mean, look, we get people that come to us with approved plans and just say, can you market this or how are you going to market this? And then there's no point criticising the plans because they've got a permit and there's nothing that can be changed. So we'll just work with what we've got. Um, so it's a, the question depends on what it... I mean, if we've got what we've got, there's no point saying, hey, your facade looks really crap, um, I hate your floor plans, I wish you'd done it differently. Um, that's certainly not going to impress them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when, we, when we're given something that's already there, then we'll just try and sell it the best we possibly can. And, and usually they're, really, they can, they're often really good. Sometimes they're not. Um, but as far as having some input into the plans, you know, a lot of the stuff we sell were involved from the first drawing to the last drawing. So the developer will just flick us the initial drawings and we'll give them a few suggestions and backwards and forwards until the end. So we've had input, which which helps. Um, it helps create something that's more saleable. Yeah, oh, I know. You and I were talking quite a long time before we actually got the planning permit approved, so you did have a lot of input into the floor plans, which was fantastic. And I think from a longer-term view... It gets you more involved in the project from a much yep. earlier stage and you're sort of emotionally engaged in it. Yeah, and there's just simple things you can do. And you're becoming more familiar with it. Um, yeah, so that all helps. But, you know, having a variation... The biggest mistake people make, I see, is that they just they do 20 units and make them all the same and then we've got to make 20 separate sales where some people, you know, like with Cambridge Road, there was at least four different products, which means that the prop property will sell four times quicker. Um, we don't have to sell the same thing 20 times. We've got four different markets we can appeal to. So, And that's very, very important. 
because sometimes two bedrooms are selling awesomely and sometimes three bedrooms are selling really well. You just don't know sometimes where the market seems to favour. Like at the moment, two bedrooms are selling better than anything. I don't know why, but the last two weeks, two bedrooms have been going crazy. So, so if you've got two bedrooms, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what sort of mistakes or common mistakes have you seen developers making or people who are having a go at development making? Um, if you go past the part and you assume someone's learnt what's a good site and what's not a good site, so they've bought something, um, the most common mistake they make is getting an inexperienced designer, not using a good quality designer, um, because that just brings in a myriad of issues with town planning and speed and time and outcomes. And So, yeah, having a quality architect or a draft, some of the draftsmen are as good or better than the, the architects but there are quality ones and there are back garden ones and back garden ones are just going to cause you lots of drama um, probably the next biggest problem I see is when they choose a builder people going for the cheapest builder um, one of our most common problems with our projects is people getting three quotes four quotes going for a cheap builder and then the builder doesn't have the money to finish it and the thing just ends up half built and then we've got to wait for another builder and legal issues, that happens to us more often than you would you would know. Um, because there are young enthusiastic builders who want to take on building 20 units and then don't have the insurance to cover it or don't have the cash flow to do it and that causes developers an enormous amount of pain. So you really need to do your due diligence on your builders. At, at any one time we're managing the sale of probably 12 projects at the moment and we've got two that are in that situation at the moment so it's very common that's you know 20 15 to 20 percent of our projects go off the rails because of the builder that's interesting that probably isn't a uh, fantastic phone call that you want to be taking or receiving from the buyers when you're having to explain that what the delays about yep delays of up to two years um trying to explain to buyers who've signed a year ago why the unit hasn't started or why it stopped at ground stage or slab stage. Yeah, it is a, a big drama we deal with daily. Yeah, I can imagine you have some pretty colourful phone calls through mm. the days and through the weeks. Very colourful. And in a rising market, like in most cases, that the owners are usually pretty good. They'll just say, look, we, we're sorry, this builder's a nightmare, we've got to get rid of him, um, we'll let them out of the contract. And in a normal market that's, that's flat, then that's not a problem. They've bought the unit for $550,000. We refund their deposit and apologise to them and then try and help them find something that's not in trouble. But the problem we have in today's market is that they bought it a year ago for five fifty, and now it's worth six fifty. Mm-hmm. So they're between a rock and a hard place. The poor buyer can't buy again. They sold in that market, bought in that market, so they're trapped. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is a horrible position to put a buyer in. Okay, Tony, so you've seen lots and lots of projects. Who do you think are the most important people to have around you as a developer on the project team? It's either going to be the agent or the designer. If you've got a brilliant designer, he may know good agents who do this, sell um, projects. He'll, he will have an association with them because he'll be used, used to... Yeah. So, And if you've got a good agent, the agent will know the best designers and... So, yeah, if you've, those two people, if they're good at what they do, will have people around them, designers, town planners. Um, so they're the ones you want to really have, you know, like a, a 
sphere of influence, I suppose, that will evolve around those people. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the core people are the builder, the designer, and the agent. That's you right. Can get those three columns, or those three pillars in place with a good, strong team, yep. you should be okay. Like if you're an experienced and you know an awesome builder who's proactive in that area, he'll, he will know a lot of agents. He will know the best designers. And the same with the agent and the same. So that it's those three that you've got to get right. If you get the right agent, the right designer or the right builder, you'll find that they'll associate themselves with the sort of people you want to know. Actually, that's a good tip because you can contact those people and ask them for their recommendations. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So what are the other questions that a developer can ask an agent before they, uh, or while they're considering them to sell their project? Look, I think it's just essential to, to have to see examples of what they've done and to see that there's a track record of selling off plan. And I'm pretty confident you could go into most suburbs and find someone who has a good track record of selling off plan. You just need to use someone who's more experienced. Um, and you, or alternatively, you need to work with someone who, um, who's, who's helped you find stuff. If I had someone who found me something in a suburb um, and they were young and I had been real estate a couple of years, I'd be really happy to work with them if they were enthusiastic. If they had the enthusiasm to help me find a site, I reckon I could work with them because I want them to continue on to build that relationship. So that, that's very important to build that relationship with an agent and that they know that when they find you something, they get it back and you share in the successes, um, which is another reason why the developer, if he learns how to market himself, it, it, he doesn't become reliant too much. He's just relying on someone who's a good salesperson, not a good marketer. Yeah, I guess it depends on the size of the project because if you're yep. doing a three- or four-unit site, it's probably not as critical yep. as a 15, 20, 20 yep. 30, 40-unit yep project yeah. where you really need specific experience and off the, off the plan experience because yep. you've got to get that sales velocity up to reach your pre-sale target to get your bank funding to get the project started. Yep. Yeah. So that's when it will become more challenging. But I would think that the sort of agent that would have a 20-unit site would be quite different from a sort of agent that you're searching for a two- or three-unit site. If an agent's been given the responsibility to sell a $2 million property or a $1 million property, it's less likely to be someone with a short-term experience in real estate. So, yeah, you just got to try and build relationships in, in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, look, it, sometimes you'll find that there's an agent, you know, that's, I suppose, like us, that does a lot of project selling. You know, a lot of our clients will give us stuff in obscure areas, like we're in Croydon and we're, we're selling projects in Mernder and Cranbourne because those developers can't find a suitable agent in those areas. I used to try and help my clients find suitable agents in those suburbs, but I just can't. <laughs> I just do it myself, which is actually working out well for us. But, yeah, I always felt it was better for a, a local agent, but it's, it doesn't always work like that. So, in other words, you might have a good relationship with an agent in Greensboro and you might buy a really nice project in Camberfield and, and just go, well, I just know him, I'll... I'll use him even though he's not in the area because I know that he he knows what he's doing with that stuff. It's not a problem selling out of the area. And you've got uh, quite a good team that works with you now with the project selling. What kind of skills or things do you work on with them to develop them into great uh, off-the-plan salespeople? Luckily, we've had lots of time for trial and error. I mean, Christy, who's working with me, has worked beside me for at least 15 years 
and Jason, who's my salesperson, he's worked with me for a couple of years. But we've just got very specified roles. I mean, I deal with the developers, which is a bit more complicated. Um, Jason deals with the purchases, um, and Christy does all the, the marketing. I mean, I might write the ads and direct it all, but um, she does all the administration and things like that. So, you know, we've just had to make mistakes and, and improve. I mean, you've got to start from a base. You, you start from a base. I mean, I've kept every brochure I've ever done, and if I pulled the first ones out, you'd sort of look at them and smile and... And the next one was a bit better, and the next one was a bit better, and the next one was a bit better. So, yeah. And so with Jason, what things do you focus on with him in terms of how he interacts or the questions that he asks with potential buyers? Well, look, when he started, I'd be sitting with him in, in the meetings with all the buyers until he sort of understood exactly what areas he needed to cover with people. So he's better at it than I am now. So, I mean, he'll, with clients coming in, he'll make sure the marketing books are ready, the plans are printed out, the brochures are ready... Um, every bit of information's there so he can sit with them and spend some time and go over everything. He's got the colour schemes to show them and then he'll probably have a couple of units that we've got just about to settle that he can go and show them and say, look, this is the closest product we have to to um, to what you're looking at buying so they physically see something. Yeah. So what are the hurdles or the obstacles that buyers tend to commonly have to overcome or sort of throw up and you have to work with them through the, work with them through it? The most common obstacles we have is just changes people want you know, because we are limited what we can change and also we're limited in the cooperation we get from developers. Um, a lot of our developers are, are sick of changes and, are, and they, they basically just say you get what you get, there's no colour choices, it's what it is, that's the most extreme on one side and then we get other people who are too cooperative um, when they catch up with the, the buyer, the buyer says, can we have this and this and this and this and move that wall and change that? And the builder goes, yeah, no, all that will be no problem to get the sale. And then once we've got the sale, they complain about all the great changes they've agreed to. So biggest issue we get in selling, um, I mean, if people don't want to buy and they're not confident, we can't change that. We'll give them all the information they need to be confident, but if they, we can't gain their confidence, that's just their personality type and they probably need to buy a finished unit rather than one-off plan. But um, the biggest hassles we get is just around yeah, changes, people wanting this change and this moved and a thousand, a 900 millimetre appliance instead of 600 in a kitchen that won't fit that in and you know, trying to can explain that to them. Now, they're often happy to pay the full price if they get their way on everything, so sometimes we get a wish list from them with 20 things they want to change and we've just got to convince them that no to that, no to that, no to that, can't do that. Yeah, so that's the, usually the biggest challenge after an interview with a purchaser. Yeah, because I'm always curious about how much selling is involved when someone comes in, whether the buyer has already made a buying decision in their head and they're just looking for confirmation or whether this, the selling agent actually takes them through a process that Helps them that helps them come up with that buy, that decision to buy. Yeah, or just, is the buyer already decided they want to buy and they're just choosing which product they want? Um, there's just so many variables with people. I mean, look, some people will come in and say, "I'm interested in Unit Two at 33 Cambridge Road." Yes, they don't want to talk about any others. So, the first thing we try and do is narrow down their focus because they're normally looking at you know quite a number of units with us and with and sometimes with other agents we've got most of the units so we're lucky that it's, it's not that often they're looking at with other agents but we'll basically take the four 
they might be looking at four projects so then we can try and get them to narrow down the number of projects they're looking at and then focus in on the unit because you can't really begin selling until they've chosen a, a unit so you're just trying to help guide them to where the unit is before you start selling because yeah they'll uh, most of them will come in here and they'll be looking at two to three different projects that we have for sale and they've seen them all on the internet so they'll say we like the one in Moorabah we like the one in Lilydale we like the one in Ringwood um, and then we'll just narrow it down and what about the split between male and female buyers does that make any difference um, if they're smaller units, apartment type units, it tends to be more female. Um, and the bigger, the medium range ones, it seems to be couples. Um, and then the bigger ones, it tends to be older, older buyers. So it depends on the project. Yeah, because I have this view that if you market to females, then you're, they're quite often they're the decision makers. Yep. Particularly in a couple. Yep. Um, so if you can market to them, you're sort of you're halfway towards getting the sale yep. because the boyfriend or the husband, in the end, is probably just going to acquiesce to <laughs> what yep. their partner wants. Yeah, look, it's not not as much like that, um, but it, it depends on the relationships. But yeah, the, the smaller units, the little ones and two bedders, is often um, female buyers, young female buyers, um, because they've usually got their their everything together where their tradie boyfriend hasn't quite got the hang of it all yet prefers drinking and saving and things like that so they'll usually buy an apartment our apartments are such a high percentage of um, of owner occupiers nowadays and female purchases the middle range a two bedroom single garage does tend to be a whole range of people single older people couples um, so yeah a little bit more varied but then when we get the big ones, the 22-square, three-bedroom, $700,000 townhouses, that does tend to be people later in their life. You know, they get to 60 and the kids are all gone and don't need a big house and they've got a holiday house, so they just buy one to simplify their life. Yeah. Um, and that is very much a, a, a couple thing, decision, I find, at that age. Yeah. So, Tony, as a real estate expert or someone who's on the ground, what are the kind of things that are happening in the market that you like to keep your eye on to give you an idea of where the market's at? Um, look, it, I've given up predicting anything with markets. Um, the things, factors I thought would influence markets has all changed. Um, we're, we're, you know, it used to be pretty much interest rate, cost of money based um, and employment based. Um, now it's immigration based and the, the nationalities that are coming to the country are, are different in their needs and wants. So, you know, in our world, we, 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 are, we have lots of local buyers, but we are also influenced by Asian, particularly Asian cultures, um, whether that be Indian or, or Chinese, or, or, or we've been selling, had just had three people, three units sell to a family who um, were from Burma. So... You know, it's they, their needs and wants and, and desires are very different. So, um, at the moment, we're just watching who immigrates, really, because that that gives us an idea on where we're going to have a strong marketplace. So, those cultures tend to like more urban environments, where you know it, it, these areas were were pretty much built on British, German, um, Dutch sort of families who, who tended to like big gardens and big lots of trees and canopy trees and veggie patches and stuff where the current 
families that are coming here don't want much garden. They hate old houses. They like new. Um, so yeah, they like to be near cafes and shopping centres and things like that. So things are urbanising a lot more. What tip would you give developers out there? Well, I always like to ask people what one tip they would give to to a developer to help take their business to the next level. What would yours be? The money's made in the buying, so you need to become good at purchasing, um, and that's a very hard thing to teach somebody. Um, but you know, it, it's we see. You know, it, it still amazes me every day. I still see people buy awesome properties even though the market is just so out of control and it's because they see something in it that other people don't so I don't know how to teach someone that little bit of creativity but maybe it's associating yourself with other people doing this and seeing what they're doing and learning from them I I find developers really pretty good to share in most cases to talk about what they're doing Um, but yeah that's a hard thing to explain because everything else will flow if you buy the right property. It's is that just something you pick up from experience, or can you go out there and try and practice with buying sites? Well, you've just or... got to start with anything. You know, it's like me talking about how we get our marketing as good as we can. I mean, all we can do is do one and then make the next one better and make the next one better. Um, but yeah, finding the right property is the is the key. You know, it, it, where the opportunities are, and those opportunities move and shift. Look, most people who are, it depends on where, you, where your, your listeners are at. Like, if you're starting off, the best thing you can possibly do is buy a simple drill oxide in a simple suburb um, and a suburb that is near a good suburb. So you've got a strong suburb next door. I've always preferred to buy the underdog areas. I'd prefer to buy, if Croydon is strong, I'd prefer to buy something in Moorabark that's not as strong because I know it's got more capacity for growth. Um, and a simple drill lock is a good way to learn about planning, marketing, builders. It's and you won't. I don't believe you can lose money on one of them. You can't make a fortune, but it, it's there's so many safety safety nets with a property like that. And it gives you opportunity to buy an old house and renovate. It gives you opportunity to build something. It's a fantastic learning experience and a way, good way to make money. Yeah. All right. If people want to find out more about you or about Max Brown, where can they go? Um, well, if they want to speak to us about anything they're doing, if they're looking for properties um, or alternatively you've got properties you want to sell or you just want to talk about developing and how to get into it, um, best thing to do is probably give me a call on my mobile, which is 0411 or email me at tony s Well, Tony, we might leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, thank you. It's been great having you on the Property Developer Podcast. Thank you. Okay, so Tony shared some great ideas and tips to help you market and sell your next project. I agree that your agent is one of the most critical on your team. So finding the right person or sales team and nurturing them will help you enjoy long-term success. These are the points I most remembered from our conversation. One, the profit is in the buying. I've heard this before and believe it to be true. So what are you going to do to make sure you get good at identifying the right sites and that you buy them well? Tony suggested finding someone who is experienced and good at it and trying to learn from them. This would be a skill that could set you apart from other developers and take you to another level. Two, build relationships with agents that will work hard to bring you sites and opportunities. This is a really good point. 
If you are clear with agents about what you want and a keen agent brings you sites for consideration, then they are demonstrating that they will dig and work for sales. This could be a skill that could be transferred to selling off the plan for you. However, Tony did caution about simply giving the original selling agent your off-the-plan business, and I couldn't agree more. A prudent business decision is what it boils down to when choosing a selling agent. 3. Ask local builders, designers and agents for leads on the best operators in the area. This is a fantastic tip. A couple of phone calls amongst this group should start to unearth the cream of the crop in the local area. I would suggest the real estate agent is probably the best place to start for names of builders and designers, and then you can call them seeking advice on who is good to work with. If you start hearing the same names, you know who to call next. Well, that's it. Another show in the can, as they say in showbiz. I hope you enjoyed hearing from a sales veteran and picked up some inspiration for selling and marketing your next development. If you did enjoy the show, I would love an iTunes review or drop a comment over at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Until next time, may all your team members be A players. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.